0: Well good morning everybody and welcome, welcome to Essex Unitarian Church where our community of Kensington Unitarians meets each week for worship as well as other activities during the week. This is public worship and our doors are open, welcoming all those who seek companionship with others as we consider life's issues from a spiritual perspective. We've all made journeys to be here, journeys today of one form or another. I wonder what transport, what mode of transport brought you here this morning. We've also come on our journeys through life. They've brought us to this place and to this time and to this gathered community. As Unitarians, we're joined by our commitment to the equality of all people joined by our willingness to acknowledge all that is unknown and unknowable in life. I'm lighting our chalice this morning, this (coughs) symbol for Unitarians and Unitarian Universalists around the world, as a symbol of truth and of love. In celebration of our freedom, freedom won for us by the efforts of those who came before us. May this simple flame burn brightly in our hearts and in our world. Just looking at our order of service now. I've hit new depths in my description of what's happening today. It's simply part one, part two, and part three, which is all an exploration of the Jewish festival of Purim. It's interesting that Veronica was talking about the Chinese New Year. There's plenty of festivals around. Purim is, um, well, you'll hear more about it. But first a story. Um... On my first week at Theology College, I showed myself up, but only a little bit. Each of the lecture rooms at the college in Manchester had a name, and one room was called Vashti. And I thought Vashti must surely be the name of a Hindu god or goddess. And when I said that to a Baptist fellow student, it brought a smile to his face. Ah, yes, he said, you Unitarians, you're not the keenest of biblical scholars, are you? The truth was out. I'd clearly never read the the Old Testament book of Esther, because Vashti, I subsequently learned, plays a pivotal role in the first chapter of that book. And what happens to Vashti tells us something of the precarious position of women in that era. The scene is set. We are in the Persian Empire. It's ruled by King Azaharas. And at a drunken banquet, the king demands that his queen actually appears before his guests, wearing her royal finery. Now, some interpreters consider that this was actually a demand for Vashti to appear naked. Naked, that is, apart from her royal crown. Now, she refused to demean herself in this way. The king is advised to banish or even execute his wife and to find himself another, more obedient queen. Now, not surprisingly, Vashti's been viewed as an early feminist. Her disobedience was described by Harriet Beecher Stowe as the first stand for women's rights. Vashti stood up for herself and in so doing lost her royal position and possibly even her head. So let's bear this in mind, all of us. If we want to have a theology college room named after us, these are the lengths that we need to go to. Now, the book of Esther is not generally considered to be a historical text. I doubt that Vashti or um, her hard-to-pronounce husband Ahasuerus, I think that's right, ever really existed. I may be wrong. But the background to the book of Esther is a situation that the Jews have known repeatedly in their long history as a people. But this is a story of diaspora, of ex- exile in a foreign land, of struggling to survive and striving to maintain a separate identity as a people. It's also a story of sexual politics, of power and seeming submission. But after Vashti is banished, the kingdom's most beautiful young women are gathered together and given what seems to amount to a year-long spa treatment, before being paraded before the king for him to choose his next queen. In the royal harem, the young women receive, and I quote, cosmetic treatment, six months with oil of myrrh and six months with perfumes and cosmetics for women. And only after the completion of these extensive beauty treatments are the girls taken, one each night, to spend time with the king. Esther won the king's favour and devotion and was duly selected to replace Vashti as queen. Now, with a narrative full of sudden turnarounds and secrets at last revealed, the book of Esther is, I reckon, as good as any 21st century soap plot. For we, the readers, know that Esther is a Jew, one of the people subjugated by the Persians. And we also know that her uncle, Mordecai, has advised her to keep the detail of her race hidden from her new husband, the king. What will happen next? When will this detail of Esther's identity be revealed? And what happened to Vashti? Hmm. What happened to Vashti? That we'll never know. On your order of service sheet, this bit is described as part two, the festival of Purim with noise-making opportunities. But I couldn't find any of our percussion instruments today. If we were in a synagogue today, we would have rattles that are pictured on the front of the order of service sheet. But if you didn't have a rattle, you would be asked to just stamp your feet or generally jeer. This, This sort of thing, that's perfect. And you do that when you hear the name Haman. Let's see how it goes. (laughs) The twists and the the turns of this tale start to emerge now. King Ahasuerus is shown to be a vain buffoon who cannot hold his liquor and is too easily persuaded by others. But for really evil behaviour, we're introduced to Haman. The king's senior minister, the villain of the piece, So evil is he that in Jewish gatherings they have to block out his name completely. I'm not going to mention it now. (laughs) This is is on the festival of Purim, which is today, um, and all around the world in synagogues today. The book of Esther is going to be recited as it has been for millennia. Young Esther had been brought up by her uncle Mordecai, an astute man who'd guided Esther into her new role as the queen and who tells her that there is a plot to kill the king by two of his closest advisors. Once that plot is revealed, the plotters are hanged, Haman (laughs) is announced as the new minister. A a jeer for the next one. Haman expects (laughs) everyone... He's one of those guys. He expects everyone to bow down before him now that he has such a powerful job, but Mordecai refuses. For the Jewish law, he explains, does not allow him to bow down before any man. Haman is furious and vows to take his revenge, not just on Mordecai, but on all the Jewish people. And the name of this festival, Purim, comes from the word for casting lots or dice. For this is how Haman (laughs) decides on the date for his intended massacre. He just throws the dice. A royal edict is issued for all the Jews to be slaughtered on the thirteenth day of the twelfth month. Mordecai hears of this and promptly dons sackcloth and ashes, mourning the impending fate of his people finds out and although as a woman she's not allowed to petition the, uh, the king, her husband even though she is married to him yet she bravely approaches Ahasuerus and asks if he and Haman can attend a banquet that she will provide there she reveals Haman's plot and he's taken off to hang on the gallows that he had prepared for Mordecai Justice is seemingly done. And there we will leave this exciting narrative for a while. Though this is not quite the end of the story. I'm going to suggest we cease our jeering at Haman now. All will become clear. I mean, it's it's no wonder, I think, that the Festival of Purim is the most joyous of Jewish festivals. It involves, as we've already heard, a great story with many twists and turns. You haven't heard all the details of this one at all. It involves feasting, including the eating of little three-cornered sweet biscuits in the shape of Haman's hat, known as Haman Taschen. And Judaism, which is generally quite abstemious as one of the world's religions when it comes to the consumption of alcohol, on the Feast of Purim, Jews are encouraged to drink and drink to excess so that they can no longer distinguish between blessed is Mordecai and cursed is Haman. There are also requirements to give to the needy, to provide food for friends and to fast the night before the festival. This is a a good festival I would say and we could probably leave the story at this point, justice it seems has been done, but the book of Esther that ends a little more harshly the royal edict uh, requiring the slaughter of the Jews cannot be revoked but another edict can override it So King Ahasuerus, who annoys me because his name is so difficult to pronounce and because he is so very weak in this story, having hanged Haman now allows Mordecai to write another edict, giving the Jews permission to defend themselves, in inverted commas. This leads to an almighty slaughter in which thousands of Persians lose their lives. Some 75,000, it is said. So this story of Esther and her people is no longer a straightforward tale of good and bad, right and wrong. The people who are oppressed are now the oppressors. and We could simply accept this as a story from thousands of years ago, yet it has resonances in modern life. Hitler infamously described his final solution as bringing another ending to the story of Purim. And I'm perhaps not alone in finding painful mirrors in this story with the problems faced by Palestinians and Israelis today. Interestingly, for pub quiz fans, the book of Esther is the only biblical book that makes no mention of God. This story is a human story. It's a story of the powerful and the powerless. It's a story of a woman standing up for her rights and another woman using all her charms in order to save her people. And whilst it's always pleasurable to scapegoat someone, surely this story reminds us that the Hamans of this world are rarely all bad, nor are the world's Mordecais usually all good once you look below the surface. And isn't that what it is to be human? To hold the potential within us for the greatest good and the greatest bad, and to work with the tension between the two. Few of us turn out to be complete saints or complete sinners, and yet we're given the free will to choose each and every day of our lives which character we're going to play today. So on this festival of Purim, my hope for all people is that our life circumstances allow us the freedom to be who we truly are, That we allow others to be fully themselves and do not force them to fit narrow roles prescribed by our society or our media. And that when we find ourselves demonising or idolising anyone, we remember the story of Haman and Mordecai, Esther and Vashti, and the 75,000 slaughtered Persians. And remember that once we really start to think about it, it's not always so easy to decide who are the good and who are the bad. Amen. And so I bless the good and the bad in all of us, that in the week ahead, we might know and accept ourselves as we truly are, that we might accept others with all their complexities and confusions that we might find our way towards peace. Amen. Go well and blessed be.